KCF Technologies presents Industrial Transformation, Stories of Failure and Success from the Front Lines of American Manufacturing. Welcome to the Industrial Transformation Podcast. We will be discussing stories of failure and success from the front lines of American manufacturing. I'm Marty Wolf, and I'm with the host of the Industrial Transformation Podcast, Jeremy Frank. Jeremy is the CEO of KCF Technologies. Hello, Jeremy. Good morning. Good morning, Marty. So, Jeremy, we connected a few months ago when you were a guest on my podcast. During that conversation, we talked about the changes that are occurring in manufacturing and how some companies are adjusting and some are not adjusting to current and predicted market conditions. Give me some thoughts on that. Absolutely. And just thanks again, Marty, for having me on your show and what what kicked off this industrial transformation series of interviews. I think you know my company is very much focused on industrial transformation. And we believe that that industry can and will be better, that we're at an inflection point. And that we're moving in a very positive direction regarding worker safety and operational productivity and, and waste elimination. And so what, what, um, you know, what occurred to me and what, what led to this is really there's a series of people who are out there who have a lot of excellent information that they can share about what's actually happening that will help, help us steer in the right direction. And that's what, uh, that's what this is all about. And so here we are today. You want to discuss how power or energy is generated, the power that fuels our manufacturing plants and our homes. And uh, as I understand it, you have a very special guest to help us understand what's happening in this world. Why don't you introduce our guest for today? Absolutely. And, I, and as I introduce our guest, just a, just a quick word on why, our, why I uh, asked this particular guest to be our first guest is in the context of the COVID crisis, one of the things that became clear is the, the, dis, uh, the discernment between essential and non-essential economic activity. And, you know, when you look at what is the most essential part that makes our modern life, you know, our modern society possible, it, it's a pretty strong argument that electricity is the most essential. Things break down pretty fast when you don't have it. And it powers our life, very literally. And even specifically within power, I look at nuclear as, you know, most people that become educated about the energy industry uh, quickly start to focus in on nuclear as sort of this unsolved puzzle of, you know, how much of our future will it be? And that leads us directly to our guest. Uh, Lauren Poindexter is um, uh, someone I've gotten to know through working together. In his work at Ameren Corporation, Lauren is the senior manager of nuclear and fossil innovation. He's been there for 29 years and uh, at the Callaway nuclear plant, and he's done jobs such as a, uh, being a licensed reactor operator, a general supervisor of operations, maintenance manager, a whole series of roles over a 29-year career in the nuclear industry. And he's now very focused on innovation and continuous improvement to improve output and keep the rates as low as possible for the customer. So Lauren, thank you very much for agreeing to join us today and and welcome. Uh, Thank you, Jeremy, for having me. And that was a very good lead in. One of our 
our company's mission statement is to power the quality of life. So very good. Power the quality of life. I like that. I'd like to actually, I'd like to just start with you personally for a moment, if we could. What is it that brought you to the nuclear industry in the first place? What attracted you? Um, that's probably a longer story than we have time for, but uh, it, uh, I, I was just interested in learning. And uh, when it comes down to it, you learn something new every day in the power industry. And uh, as I progressed through my career, as I felt comfortable in one position, I thought it was time to learn something new and move to a different one. And that's kind of how I've progressed my career over the years. And for those of us that aren't, you know, the vast majority of people, including myself, have never worked in a, in a nuclear power plant. What's it like? I mean, what do you, what do you love about working in a, in a nuclear power generation station? Um, well, the biggest difference you'll see between a, say a fossil plant or a gas plant and a nuclear plant is it's very, very clean. Um, you know, as in many other industries, we have very, very intelligent people and very smart people working side by side every day. Um, but the environment is so much cleaner because uh, we don't have that uh, coal dust or that extra uh, type of dirt and those type things in the plant. It's uh, it's just kept very, very clean. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's interesting. I, when I when I was really thinking about this and thinking about who to initiate this industrial transformation interview series with, you bubble to the top and also nuclear just, you know, I think there's some facts. A lot of people don't study the facts of industry. And, you know, the, the reality is right now about 60% of the, of, of America's electricity comes from fossil fuels, 38%, you know, the majority is gas, natural gas, but nuclear is a lot. It's about 20% and it's been a steady contributor for a long time. And one of the great things about nuclear is it's just zero emissions. You know, there's some huge positive attributes. And is that so when you describe clean, is that really what you're talking about? So compared to a, a gas or a coal fired plant, you, you, you know, you're getting the soot everywhere or smoke or is that it or is it beyond that? Well, that, yeah, that's most of it. Uh, you know, the the emissions are very important. And uh, as you mentioned, nuclear is zero emissions. Uh, we do have a small amount of radioactive waste that we have to deal with uh, at times. And uh, we, we have very good processes for dealing with that. So, um, yeah, the, the zero emissions is very important about nuclear. And uh, since nuclear provides such a large base load for our grid, um, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. I wonder if you could ex just describe it for us for a minute. You know, I'm, it occurred to me in getting ready for this that a lot of our, you know, a lot of people sort of have a, I don't know, a fear or a misunderstanding of nuclear power that, that that's sort of deep-seated. But then, you know, honestly, a lot of people's impression of the nuclear industry probably comes significantly from Homer Simpson, you know, just because that's what that's what people are exposed to. Can you, I mean, what does it sound like when you're, when you're actually, you know, what, like, what's the most interesting part of a, of a nuclear reactor that you actually see, feel, hear when you're there? Well, first of all, Homer Simpson is not a very good representation of nuclear power. 
<laughs> uh, I would imagine not. Just, why? Yeah. Just to clear that up. Um, so, uh, um, the 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 thing that's really neat about nuclear power, you know, I mentioned how clean it is. Uh, when when we do things, it's uh, very very large equipment. You know, we're we're putting out 1,250 megawatts electric per hour, 24-7. And that's an incredible amount of baseload electricity. Um, but we're, we're coming up on a fall, and we have to refuel every 18 months, and we do that in the fall. So we have a, uh, a refueling outage scheduled this fall. Um, one of the biggest tasks and probably one of the neatest things that you could see in a nuclear power plant is uh, the head removed from the reactor and disassembly of the um, reactor head so that we can get to the, get the old fuel out, put new fuel in. So uh, that's, that's a major activity. Um, you know, safety is another big thing for us, Jeremy, the uh, not only uh, the public, Health and safety is the number one thing in nuclear power. Across the country, hands down, you will not see any different answer from anyone in nuclear power. Um, personnel safety is next. And, you know, we, we just, everything we do is safe. It's well planned out. And there's documentation uh, to support all the activities that are performed at a nuclear power plant. Got it. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. I'm curious, what are the what are the biggest challenges that you face? You know, I know every industry that's looking at transforming is is facing manpower issues with, you know, trained workers, expert workers, and then also just general competitiveness, which in your case has a lot to do with operating costs, I think, and, and new, these new sources of renewables. What is it? What are the biggest challenges that affect the future of, of nuclear power? Um, well, I've had this discussion with lots of people before, but it's cost. Uh, basically, our industry, we have pursued safety and excellence over all these years to the point that we've driven our cost extremely high. Uh, and our fuel costs are very, very low as compared to a fossil plant. Um, maybe not quite as low as a gas plant right now today. And uh, the operations and maintenance costs are really what drive our plants and our success. Um, and you mentioned earlier the, the plants around the country. There's been a few plants that have closed because of costs. They couldn't uh, efficiently produce that power. So what are you doing about that? And, I, you know, it's a bit of a loaded question, obviously, because we've done uh, some work together, our company and, and your plant. But how do you how do you address that, the cost challenge? Yeah, so we have um, started working on a project. All the chief nuclear officers got together uh, a few years ago and uh, made a decision that we would reduce our costs and by 30% over five years. So we're uh, diligently working towards that. Uh, one of the initiatives, there, there's several initiatives uh, to do that, but one of them is how we met. You know, we're we're trying to more modernize our plant. And one thing that we've done at, at the Callaway nuclear plant is put in some wireless remote sensors that you're very familiar with uh, to get to a condition based maintenance program rather than time based. 
And how's that, uh, you know, what can you say about how that's working? Is it affecting your cost in a measurable way? Are you able to scale that? So, yeah, it has uh, been very beneficial to Callaway. We've, we've uh, more than recouped our cost of the equipment and uh, for the modernization of those with adding those sensors. Uh, we actually uh, were continuing to slowly add um, sensors at Callaway and improve our performance in that area. Uh, last November, we implemented a thermal performance monitoring module. It's all wireless with pressure um, sensors and temperature sensors that so we can remotely monitor our thermal performance. And the importance of that is that any lost thermal megawatts are taken away from electrical output megawatts. So um, that, that's, that's a big savings when you can uh, re recoup those lost um, cost. Hmm. Because it just directly contributes to energy generated. That's correct. So, Jeremy, Jeremy, can, yeah, I, yeah. I can jump in, Jeremy, because you know what? I, listening to this in terms of cost, I'm th sitting here thinking, uh, Jeremy, if it's okay, I, the question I'd like to ask is the talent. Like, who are the people that you're recruiting um, to operate these plants? Are these engineers uh, and, and where are they coming from? And is there a talent shortage for you? Um, that's a good question, Marty. We have, we're all struggling in the nuclear industry as well as the utility industry in general with a retiring workforce and replacing them with uh, a new generation or additional people to help with those uh, tasks. Um, it, it is a challenge, and uh, you know, traditionally nuclear power, uh, the workers came from a Navy background. Um, that's not the case anymore. There's a lot of specialized uh, educational programs around the country. There's some tech schools that offer nuclear uh, training courses, operator training courses, radiation protection training courses. So we, we like to pull from everywhere. Uh, we do require uh, highly intelligent people, so there's uh, significant testing involved with working in a nuclear power plant. Um, the other test you have to pass is the background check, uh, and that's that's hard for some folks these days too. Mm, okay, thanks. That is yeah, it's a great question, Marty, because I know we see that everywhere. And I uh, incidentally, Lauren, I strictly speaking, I have I'm one of those. Uh, <laughs> nearly qualified individuals. When I got my mechanical engineering degree from Penn State, the nuclear and mechanical engineering programs were merged at that time. So technically I'm qualified, although the truth is I'm not. So it's good that you have the rigorous uh, background checks. <laughs> uh, I, I'm curious if you would comment, you know, when Marty and I talked uh, for his interview, we talked about this particular, like the, the COVID crisis and the, you know, all the extra challenges that's putting it on the workforce. Can you share any details about what you're experiencing in terms of having these workers able to go in and do their job? Um, well, when you, when you kick this off, Jeremy, you mentioned it. Uh, we, we feel that electrical power is essential and it's uh, something that, you know, you have to keep the lights on you have to have people's devices working with all this work from home. So uh, the making power is essential for, for their country and, as a utility, we, we value that and accept that. Um, so we've had to implement uh, reduced 
manpower, reduced workforce, go down to minimum work activities so that we have exposed our operating crews to less people. Um, obviously, the, the most significant uh, jobs we have on site are our operators, you know, our reactor operators and our non-licensed operators are uh, essential to keeping the plant running. And, uh, you know, the, they're our top priority as far as making sure that they stay healthy and able to operate the plant. Um, so, yeah, we've had some challenges with that. Uh, we've we've in, implemented some self-monitoring as well as checks on site um, so that they can take the watch and do their jobs. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's just something is, you know, from KCF's point of view, just enabling those workers to do their work and to always be elevating it. And just, uh, you know, we really look at people as industrial heroes that make it. I think, you know, you said you look at it as essential, but I, I just, it, it is essential. When you look at what starts to happen when electricity is unavailable, society breaks down pretty fast. So I just say on behalf of America, thank you for that, um, for keeping the lights on. So, so I want to go one little bit further on that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we appreciate that, Jeremy. Thank you. I just want to thank you for that. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. So taking Marty's question a little further, you know, I look at it again because I know, you know, I know something about your operations. There's a couple different areas. You know, there's the manpower issue that, that affect the, the, long, the future of nuclear and operating costs. I'm going to say there's maybe at least three big categories of that. There's the workers, the workforce. And then there, there are sort of the, um, the, the government and the, uh, the organizations that regulate nuclear power industry. And then there's the, the organizations that are in place that can actually service, you know, service the reactor, service the plant. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of kind of operating within a, a, the cost constraints within any of those three factors? Um, yes. The, you know, our vendors are our support uh, companies that help us refuel a reactor, for instance, uh, we've got Westinghouse, Framatone, Riva, many, many companies that uh, we engage with and they do work for us at the plant. Uh, those costs have incrementally increased over the last 20, 30 years. And, um, you know, when we when we have to refuel, for instance, it takes a specialized crew to be able to uh, safely handle that fuel and re refuel our core. Uh, it takes a specialized crew to take the head apart and put it back together. And those uh, safety precautions and those procedures are uh, unbelievable. Uh, the the measures that we go to for safety, um, but a big piece of that is hiring the right people to do those sub activities that we need done. Okay. Both in, so if, uh, on the external part of it, the Westinghouse, I mean, I, uh, you know, actually I've, I have lined up the next interview that we're doing is going to be with Jason Babick, who's the vice president of global strategy for Westinghouse. Is there anything you'd like me to ask him or to, you know, that, that as an organization, Amarin might ask Westinghouse to, to kind of make that make it easier for you to enable low cost operations. Um, well, to the extent possible, if we can keep our costs down, would help, and that uh, any any help with that is appreciated. Um, 
you know, recently we have evaluated a new fuel type and which will enable us to either buy Westinghouse fuel or this other type fuel. And uh, so there'll be some competition in the future on where we get our fuel even. So just introducing some competition will help uh, as far as fuel costs go. Um, and, and that's kind of happening across the industry. Um, you know, there's, there's competition pretty much for every activity that Westinghouse does. So uh, they'll probably have to react to that and um, make it easier for us, I would say, down the road. Got it. Thanks. Hey, what about on the side? So you know, I know there's there's a couple of organizations that regulate the nuclear industry. And I, and I wanted to come back, you know, the, the thermal management that you were describing. I just wanted to give you you and your whole team a big shout out. You won a big award, a very prestigious award from the Nuclear Energy Institute, the NEI, uh, this year. Would you mind just sharing a bit about that uh, award, and um, and then also just broadly, like how how that and and EPRI interface with with your operations to try to bring the cost down long term? Um, well, thank you for bringing that up. That was that was a very prestigious award that uh, our team at Callaway. Uh, received. It's a top innovative practice award, uh, TIP award from the Nuclear Energy Institute, as you stated. Um, they give out a handful of those every year to uh, different nuclear plants across the com- country that are doing something new and innovative or different. Um, and they, I think they give those out when they see something that is um, significant to the industry and will change the way we do business. Uh, so the, the team that we uh, had working on the uh, wireless remote sensors, um, they uh, installed, planned it out, came up with, and we installed the thermal performance monitoring module. And when, when we addressed that with uh, NEI, I actually met with them in Washington, D.C. to discuss, you know, how the roadmap, how we got there. And they were really impressed with the way we went from back in 2017, starting to monitor uh, rotating equipment in a, in a pilot to deploying uh, a bunch of sensors on our secondary plant equipment and then to a thermal performance monitoring module. Uh, and it fit right into one of the uh, initiatives for reducing costs. So um, that was that was very significant. And uh, I've also worked with EPRI, uh, Electric Power Research Institute. Um, EPRI had produced some quick guides, and I, my myself, and the Stars Group, um, which is a, a strategic group that of four single plant utilities or single nuclear plant utilities that formed a group so that we can get discounts like the fleet plants do. And we worked with EPRI to produce uh, some specific quick guides so that we could implement uh, remote wireless monitoring in a cost-effective way and get to a condition-based maintenance plan. And we're well down the road working on that. And has that now been done? Is that the the EPRI approval of your, of the ability for you to kind of 
expand that across, you know, both within Amaran but to other companies. Is that now happened? Um, so the, those specific quick guides that we developed were for uh, several of the Stars plants um, and Callaway. So we have Wolf Creek, Palo Verde Nuclear Facility, and Diablo Canyon as part of the Stars group, and any of those plants could take these specific quick guides now and implement them in a, in a similar way that we did. Uh, and um, they are currently working on some pilots and things, but they haven't done a, a full deployment. Um, we also, by doing that, we kind of set the stage for the industry so that they could start following down the path and implementing those quick guides as well. Uh, so some, we, we did it all manually, a manual evaluation, which, uh, as you know, can be very strenuous at times uh, and difficult. But now EPRI has also uh, produced a, um, a computer program that helps uh, evaluate those failure mechanisms and what you need to do as far as monitoring that equipment. Hmm. Are you now using some of those, those EPRI developed tools? Or are you far enough along that you have essentially made your plan? Well, since we did it manually, uh, we're taking that documentation and moving forward. Um, in the future, as we add different sets of specific equipment, uh, we would run them through that computer program as they're available. Um, the, you know, it, it, as with anything in, in power and uh, research and development, you know, a lot of these things are always in flux and always being improved. I see. That's great. Hey, I, I, um, I know we're almost going to be running out of time. I was, when I look at industrial transformation of the entire energy sector and nuclear specifically, Lauren, I, I'm curious if you could comment on, if you take a 10 year outlook, you know, what, like what could power generation and specifically nuclear look like by 2030? And especially you've talked with me before about the, the gen four reactors. Like, can you just paint a picture for us as American citizens where we're could be headed? Yeah. I, I think this is a personal opinion of Lauren Poindexter, but I think nuclear power is a significant, will be a significant factor in our future for energy. Um, you know, the, the gen generation four reactors, like we've discussed in the past are smaller. Uh, they're 250 megawatt plants. Um, and they've got a, basically it's a submarine reactor instead of a industrial commercial reactor a vessel that's harder to build. Um, but uh, other than size, they're very, very safe. You know, uh, all, all nuclear plants are very, very safe. Uh, however, these are intrinsically safe in the way that they're built, the way that uh, they're designed. Um, the other thing about that is they still provide that base load. Uh, you know, with, without a base load uh, supporting our grid, uh, with the way that solar and wind are coming into play, uh, it, it makes it really hard for a utility company as a whole to manage that grid stability. Um, you know, with the times of day that people are going to be in the future, possibly charging electric vehicles, for instance, uh, you know, there's places around the country today that have different rates at night. So people are washing their, drying their clothes at night from midnight to six in the morning because it's a cheaper rate. You know, that's already going on today. Um, 
But that what that does when when P, when utilities offer those incentives, it's helping us balance the grid and balance the load so that we can keep the grid at an extremely stable um, position. Um, the one other neat thing that we've talked about before, Jeremy, that I, I, I want to mention is, you know, these Gen 4 reactors are designed around uh, an improved fuel cycle or an improved uh, way to use fuel. And they, we can actually, uh, if, if the United States government would approve it, we can reprocess our spent fuel that we have used today from all the other reactors. We can reprocess that and remove the waste that the new reactors can't use. It's a very, it would be a very small amount. Uh, and we can reuse that 90% of the energy that's still left in that spent fuel pool uh, or that spent fuel. Um, so by reprocessing it, uh, it can be redesigned to work in the uh, Gen 4 reactor. And we have enough spent fuel in this country today to power our country for 800 years without uh, going and digging up and producing more fuel if we just reprocess what we have. Yeah, that's that's just an amazing reality, Lauren. I appreciate you sharing that and just knowing that. I, I don't think there's very many people who are, you know, really cognizant of, of that reality and how and it, it's going to be important. You know, it's going to be, you know, making the right decisions is going to be such an important part of our future industrial landscape. And I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And, you know, I think around 2030 is when you'll see a, a lot of these small reactors come into play um, as we start taking fossil plants off, uh, you know, most utilities have uh, committed to being carbon-free by 2050. Uh, so we're retiring fossil fuels. And uh, the, the, the plain fact of it is to get to carbon-free, you can't have gas plants either uh, because they do have some emissions and uh, a footprint in that area. So you have uh, wind and solar, which, like I said, is hard to balance the grid with, with the times of day that that that's the most uh, effective. So you still need that base load. Yeah. And I, the way I look at it, it just paints a pretty rosy picture, but it kind of only if we're able to execute, you know, over the next 10 years. And I, that's, it's just a, it's a thrill to be um, just teamed up with you and hear all the details with you. I, um, I think, I think that it's time to wrap up Lauren and Marty. I, um, I'll just, I'd like to say thank you very much for spending the time this morning. And I, I would open the door uh, either to Marty but, or to Lauren maybe first. If, is there anything else that's on your mind that you'd like to share? Um, you know, the one thing that drives me every day and, you know, it, it really drives our industry is uh, becoming more efficient and uh, at producing our electricity, that continuous improvement that you mentioned. And, you know, our goal is to use innovation to keep our customer rates as low as possible. And, you know, when we can save those O&M costs, they get passed directly on to our customers uh, in the form of rates. And, uh, you know, if we can keep rates where they're at or near where they're at and, and not have to raise our customer rates, that, that's our real goal. And, and to make that essential electricity to the home, uh, and the businesses, you know, that's, you have to have that and it needs to be affordable for our customers. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lauren. We just, uh, I, I would say as American citizens, we should and do appreciate the work that you and your teammates do. It's just really important stuff. So thank you. Thank you for having me today, Jeremy. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for being here again. And thanks, Marty, again for, for hosting this with me. You bet. And uh, my last comment would be, I think he said the power, power, the quality of life is what your phrase is that you said at the very beginning, Lauren. You did a great job of telling us more about that. Thanks, Marty. I appreciate your uh, support today, too. Well, thank you very much to Lauren Poindexter from Ameren Corporation. We heard some really interesting stories today about the future of the nuclear power industry in America and what it can look like. It's a pretty bright future that's possible over 10 years, but only if Lauren and his teammates and people like them do the best they can to transform to a better future. So thank you very much for joining us. This is the Industrial Transformation Podcast, where we're telling stories from the front lines of American manufacturing. Thanks for listening to the Industrial Transformation Podcast, a production of Business Builders Media. Learn more about how KCF can help you on your industrial transformation journey at kcftech.com. And check out more shows on businessbuildersmedia.com. Thank you.